The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 33 of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We are wrapping up 2021 with one of my favorite drummers and overall musicians and artists, Billy Martin. If you're not familiar with Billy's work, he's a longtime collaborator with the trio Badesky, Martin, and Wood. He's a prolific composer, percussionist, visual artist, educator, record producer. He runs a nonprofit at the moment. So go to billymartin.net to follow along with what he's up to. And there's always some new cool projects in the works. This episode, we go deep into the creative process and improvisation, uh, and we get a little bit of gear talk in. So let's get right to it. The great Billy Martin. All right. I'm going to just fire away if you're ready. Yeah, man. Bright and early. Let's talk gear. No. Yeah. <laughs> and my first question is, you know, what are you currently working on? I feel like you're always moving and morphing and changing and you know, as a record label owner, as a visual artist, as a musician, as an educator, what's currently yeah. on your plate? Well, you know, this time of year, right, we're wrapping up everything, most people. Uh, so I actually have some time to think a little bit to myself. Um, so I'm actually thinking about what's the next thing. And yeah. uh, it, it could be, I have a number of things that it could be. So I'll start. I'll start with what I wrapped up and what's continues on with is like I'm running a nonprofit called Creative Music Studio, which is a le- legendary nonprofit. It was started in 1971 with Carl Berger, Ingrid Serzo, and Ornette Coleman. And really, all all of these this started in the early 70s upstate in Woodstock, New York, uh, and everybody would come up like. Uh, and teach there for weeks at a time, like Don Cherry, Nana Vasconcelos, Ola Tunji, uh, Pat Metheny, Dave Holland, Jack DeJanet, uh Eddie Blackwell was there once, um, you know, Carla Blay, all these, a lot of jazz and experimental artists and also classical and electronic people too. They had percussion ensemble groups too uh and so so i'm running and i've been running that i'm like the ceo executive director and it's been it's been an incredible privilege and uh getting it sort of like up to the next generations and stuff so i'm in my fifth year running that so um so that's going really well i really enjoy that um actually this year we had like will calhoun from living color we've had calvin weston we've had uh Bob Moses, you know, these are people that are friends of mine that I know. And then I'm just talking about drummers, you know, and then Ciro Baptista teaching online or at a workshops upstate. Uh, the other things, you know, is like, yeah, I'm teaching at the new school. I'm a professor at the new schools. I teach improvisation, you know, on, uh, improvising ensembles. I teach rhythmic analysis. And uh, hopefully that'll continue just like one day a week. I go go out to the city and, and teach for a day there. I've been enjoying that a lot, actually. I, I didn't think I would, but I am. And uh, I teach privately here in my studio, the Herman House in Englewood, New Jersey. Um, this is a separate studio I, I built, uh, and it's named after my uh, first drum teacher, Alan Herman. We did that uh, DVD uh, movie, Life on Drums, just 
pretty much educational kind of uh, masterclass about, you know, my process, the creative process more about how I, you know, kind of like what I think is important. Um, and so Alan and I continued to sort of like think about oh, where can we, you know, can we like continue this sort of life on drums thing, a classroom lessons and stuff. And so, so I built this, he helped me invest in building and establishing a space, a uh, private space that people can come. So sometimes we'll teach uh, workshops here or private lessons. So that's been like, that's pretty much been it. You know, managing my record label hasn't been too difficult. I released a record uh, called Guilty where I'm playing bass and drums and then a little bit of piano and having guests on that. So what I'm looking to, into this year or going into this year is maybe perhaps maybe working on another book. <laughs> I've been thinking about this for a couple of years already. Uh, my book, Rhythm, Claves of African Origin, uh, needs, needs an, you know, a, another edition. And I'm, I'm excited because that's just been growing and growing uh, with all the teaching I've been doing and also applying it to, you know, to uh, com compositions and things like that and working with ensembles. So there's the rhythm book. I hope I can get a second one out. I don't know, but uh, if I find the time, it, it, that would be something I'd love to do. And then, you know, just producing music and continuing to develop myself as a, as a composer, uh, recording here. And I'm actually, actually, the one project I'm, I'm waiting on, like I'm in the middle of, is a movie that I'm scoring. And it's called Mary, and it's takes place in New York, and it's... I can't really say much about it right now, but, but I'm, I'm waiting to kind of start to see the footage. So that'll be fun. It's an indie film, but it'll, it's pretty, it should be pretty cool. So I'm excited about that. Do you score it from an improvisational place? Always like I, in general, I'll either take material that I have laying around that I've, you know, made notes about, like maybe I played the piano and I came up with this, this melody or this theme or the guitar or this, any any material that I have laying around that I've sort of like is unfinished uh, and I think, oh, this kind of works, you know, then I'll develop that more. I'll, I'll flush it out and uh, score it in different ways, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, just pretty much everything that I approached as far as, you know, uh, creative process is improvising. It all comes from the improvising. Um, you know, it's not like I hear a melody. Sometimes I'll hear something in my head, I'll sing it into my phone and it'll turn into, you know, it'll get hashed out. But even that to me is, you know, when things come to you, they, it's like they come to you in the moment. That's pretty much improvising. So, yeah, improvising is the, is, is, is the thing. I mean, I think every composer really understands that they're just kind of like experimenting, whether it's on the piano or on the drums or any instrument. Uh they're they're kind of just experimenting with sound and then all of a sudden you know things start to come out and they're composing so that's my approach yeah that's usually the scary step for me the, the nothingness of sitting down and then when do you when does an idea become something worth flushing out i don't know for me it's a sensation i don't i'm not very good at it so i'm going to ask you mm. when you sit down yeah well you've got to stop saying you got to stop saying you're not good at it because that's just putting up a barrier right there. Like you're like, ah, I'm not good at that. Everybody's good at it. Like we're all humans are just, we're just inherently creative people. It's just a matter of tapping into it. And then, and then just 
but you say, you know, it's a getting a feeling. It's a feeling. If you get excited about it, uh, don't knock it down. Just keep flushing it out. And, and the, you, you may spend, you know, may spend a, five minutes on it. You may spend an hour. You may spend a day, weeks. And then later you may say, oh, what a piece of junk that was, you know. <laughs> but the process of doing it and learning about yourself is part of the process of, of you know, moving forward. Um, so I, that's why, that's why I, I love teaching improvisation. It's not an easy thing to teach. There aren't many people out there that, that do it well. And, and it's one thing I can say about myself that I think that like I'm, I have a way of getting people to sort of get comfortable with improvising and experimenting. And it comes down to just making sound like so that you're not dealing with genre or style, idiom or anything. You're creating your own style and idiom and it'll, it'll go in that direction. But like at first you don't do that. But I understand also the fear of the unknown, like for sure, there's nothing worse to me than be in an ambiguous place and be like, what, you know, what, what's happening, what's going to happen, you know, waiting or, and just feeling like I have no idea. But because I've been improvising so much and it's a performance thing, uh, I've done tons of it with Modesto Martin Wood in front of a lot of people. Uh, there is a, there, there can be, you can get, it can get scary, but it means you care, you know? Um, but when you start getting used to it, it's sort of like you start to look forward to that actually. And I, and I did, I realized there was a certain kind of, there was a, you know, a crossroads for me where it was like, am I going to go this way where everything is composed and I'm just playing what's dictated to me? Or am I going to go this way where it's like, I'm the artist, I'm the composer, and, you know, I'm going to work with like-minded people who are open to just letting things happen. Uh, and so I went in this, I'm in this direction now where it's like, if you want to work with me, you've got to accept me for who I am and you've got to let, let things happen in the moment and then we can develop it together. You know, like it's a collective thing. So if I'm with other people, it's a collective thing. I do lead groups and things like that where I have an idea, but pretty much into like hearing other people's ideas and seeing what we come up with. Mm. So is there like a lack of judgment, whether that was a good improvisation, that was a not so good improv, are they all equal? How does it, no, there's no lack of judgment. It's not a lack of judgment. It's just there's um, there's open to opportunity to like, oh, I didn't know like that's possible. You know, those kind of things when those things happen or like someone doesn't have the greatest technical ability, but actually they have a really good idea or they played something a certain way that someone else you may have worked with wouldn't do. So it's like, it has to do with ideas. It has to do with ideas that people have and not about their technical ability so much, you know? So you can get a bunch of people in the room that like could execute things perfectly, but like then they're, but they have, there's no, no real interesting idea. There's not, they're not really saying anything, you know? So, uh, so the judgment comes more for me from, from being like, let's just be open to the, all of it, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the shitty stuff, the bad ideas, the good ideas. Let's just get it all. Let's get it all happening. And then let's start, then let's hash it out. You know, it, it's, you know, it's a process. And I think everybody that gets together and, and works on improvisation, it's a different process because everybody has a different personality and they have different hangups and different things. But um, I would say, you know, 
in general, the approach is, yeah, is to be open, but also to be really clear about whether you feel like that's cool. That's a cool thing. I want to work on that or whether that's like, nah, you know, I've heard that before. That's a cliche thing. Sometimes the cliche ideas work, you know, it's just, it's just all, yeah. People are kind of like have their own perspective personalities. And so you have to kind of deal with that. You know, everybody else is kind of judgment on what is good or what it's bad, but it, working collectively like with Medeski Martin Wood, that was a de- democracy. That was harder than having one person just say, this is, that's good. Try something else and say, okay, okay, we got it. I'm, I, this is what I want as opposed to three people in a room or more. Right. But with MMW it was three. We were like, I don't know. What do you think? And then it was like, you know, we've kind of had to like collectively make a decision. And sometimes one person, if one person really wasn't happy with it and the other two were, it was kind of like, well, majority, like, let's just move on. Like, we think this is cool. And all right. And then the other, the other one just says, okay, man, like, you know, just, I'm, I'm, in, I'm here for the, I'm here for the whole, you know? Uh, so there's many ways to work those things out, but in general, it is kind of keeping it open, open about it and not being like harshly judgmental, but, but also not being like spineless and just like, Oh, anything. Okay. Whatever. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or, I mean, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings ever, (laughs) but we want to maybe just say, Hey, this is, this is what I think. I think that's a great idea. And I think I'm, you know, blah, 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 you know, like let's, have a conversation about what just happened. What was that? Expect- That's what I do in my improvising classes. It's like, we'll just play for five minutes or 10 minutes. And then I'll say, Hey, what did you, what were you thinking? Mm. And then it's amazing what people think. Some people are like, I you know, I thought it was going to go this way, or I was trying to make it go this way. And, and then it's like, no, we, you know, you don't want to control it too much. And there's so many conversations we have, but we get to learn about how we think. And, uh, and then the other person hears what the other person was thinking. And all of a sudden they're like, everybody starts to feel like, oh, it's okay. Then, you know, how do you feel about being disruptive in an improvisation? Uh, well, disruptive, I mean, disruptive is a good thing if it's a positive, you know, direction. Uh, I mean, basically for me, I think basically when I, that I would say I feel good about it because there someone has to be disruptive or someone has to lead to me when i hear disruptive i don't i don't think negative i think it's like there's something that needs to change and someone needs to step out and do it right so you have to lay yourself out there on, on the chopping block and whether you're judged for doing something wrong right or wrong you have to do it if you're going with your heart there's no, you're sincere going with your heart and saying, oh, I'm going to take it this way. I'm going to slow the tempo down, you know, or I'm going to, I'm going to stop playing. You know, those kind of things are catalysts, right? For like everybody going, whoa, okay, new section or like, oh, I'm just, you know, or do the drums just dropped out. Uh, so I feel like that's, you have to be disruptive, but not to be noticed or not to be, mm-hmm. you know, to get attention. It's more about like, you know, we've been playing like this for like five minutes. Like it's just static. Let's, let's make a change. You know, I'm not sure I answered that. Yeah. That no, that's kind of, cause I always feel like maybe you don't want to hurt people's feelings, but like, Hey, that was cool. But can you do something else now? <laughs> let's go here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, and that's, and that really, it goes both ways. You know, it's like, 
people will get frustrated if they feel like you didn't give it a chance. And I've been through that, you know, I've been through that with, you know, situations where people feel like, wow, why did he just change up? It was really nice. We could have gone another five minutes with this vibe. You know, it's, it's a meditative trance thing. It's like, well, you know, that we didn't kind of lay the rules out that way. So that person learns like, yeah, I just got to let, I just got to chill, you know, and just like, let it go in that direction. Like when, you know, Later, I can create my own thing like that, you know, and go on for for half an hour just playing this groove, you know, fine. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a process that everybody is kind of learning together. Do you suggest introducing improvisation early in the journey as a musician? I feel like, especially drummers, we get caught up in having to learn how to play the instrument before we take any chances or try our own ideas, like. Where do you insert it? Like if you had a eight-year-old kid who's just learning how to play paradiddles, would you urge them to improvise or stick with the technique for a couple of years first? Yeah, I would definitely start with the, I would definitely instill more of the creative ideas because I really feel like from there, you're going to hit a certain, you're going you're gonna to get it, that, that, student at that age they're 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 starting to get conditioned at that age it's a really rough time <laughs> mm-hmm. you know but when they're younger they're kind of a little bit more malleable and like if you if you instill that sense of like it's okay this is the part where you can just do whatever you want and and then you could sort of by example they could kind of like run into some issues where you're like well now check this out like if you do if you play you know alternate you know, your hands. And then that leads to like, check out this, you know, this book, if you really want to get even more precise and you can study stick control or whatever the book is, you know, or do your paradiddles. But I think they cut, they cut, they go together. I think a lot of creative things, a lot of um, experimental improvising ideas basically invent their own technique. It's like that term, the mother of invention. It's like, yeah, like you have this, 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 this thing just happens. And then you're like, well, how can I can, how can I play it again? And how can I, you know, how do I develop this? And then you start to create your own technique, or you get a teacher to help you. So I really believe that instilling a creative uh, improvisational side early on is really, really important. It's like, it's, I mean, to me, it's, it's, the sooner the better because you're you're helping uh, establish a uh, a foundation for that individual to like be a leader to be a composer to be an artist and someone who can bring ideas into a situation as opposed to you just come up you come to the situation with your technique and you just are someone else's you know tool to execute things and if you have both things then you've got you know you've got more to uh to give in a way or to, to, you know to to contribute uh i also think it just it just leads to other things in life like you learn about how to make choices and decisions in the moment in your life that has nothing to do with music you know it's just it op- that it opens up that side of yourself where it's like you have to like maybe take chances or you have to kind of make decisions and you don't know where to go A or B and they're both could be good, but I don't know. And uh, sometimes you just have to kind of improvise your way 
through life uh, designing things like for me i build things right I it's like i've learned that like because you know i, I see i can i see possibilities and then i have to back it up with the engineering like if i want to build this studio like i have certain creative ideas and i'm like well but now i've got to actually build it and it has to be safe so it's like i take the creative idea and then i back it up with the technical part and then make it happen you know and some things have to be adjusted and i think it's the same thing with being a drummer it's like or being a musician it's just like you've got this vision and it's like how do i get there you know like sometimes you you can do a lot of things drummers can do just hitting things and making sounds it's not not rocket science you know but then there's a certain point where you're like well i want to do i want to be able to go quickly from here to here you know and not you know kill myself you know and hurt my hands you know then technique comes in i was lucky i had the technique thing the first couple of years of practicing i wasn't creative at all except for maybe i was drawing and stuff but like i was not a creative person so the first two years i did have straight up stick control boom boom mm -hmm. technique stuff I was learning about physics. I was learning about effortless, you know, and that, and, and later the creative stuff came in. That was just what happened. But I, I think it's important to get introduced early on, but it, either way, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's whenever you can introduce the creative aspect of experimenting and, you know, uh, and, and, and working on your, you know, uh, getting, getting a student to think, think like an artist, doesn't matter how old they are. They could be 90 years old. It's just whatever, you know, it's like, but, but the younger, the better, I think just to, just to introduce it as part of the lesson. What do you do with someone who has only played along to rush records for 20 years and they come to you <laughs> and say, I, I, I want to be more creative. How would you break that ice? Well, first of all, I don't have enough experience with rush. Like what that mean, what that is like exactly what that person's life is like. I'd have to hear them play. Uh, but breaking the ice, you said, mm -hmm. yeah, just yeah, someone who's uh, only uh, yeah. learned, you know, note for note songs and never written anything or improvised. Yeah. Really well, before. well, I would, you know, uh, there's two things. Uh, one, number one, I would just say, just play, you know, just play a solo for me, whatever it is you want to play. Like it's whatever you want to play. I don't care what it is. If it's something from rush or whatever, I wouldn't even say that, but I would just be like, just play make some sound play play something on the drums let me hear you play want to hear how you hit the drums and all that stuff and it may come out sounding like something straight out of a rush record and i may I'm, and then i would say the second part would be you know that's cool that's part of your vocabulary you've learned all of that that whole language orcs drum closet nashville's full line drum store Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instrument, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. Then the number two step would be, now let's build, let's add to that vocabulary that you already have. Let's add to it. What other music, you know, are you listening to that you're practicing to or that you're studying 
And then that becomes part of your vocabulary. Then you mix up Rush with whatever other band you listen to, right? And then it's like, oh, you got this and that. Now you got, and you start like listening to a lot of different music. And all of a sudden you have all these choices, ways to, you know, it's no difference than like, you know, speaking, we're speaking English language now. We're using words and we're using tones and phrases and things the way we are, uh, express them freely, you know, depending on the situation. So I would just say, yeah, just build on that. But then maybe number two, part three, or, you know, part three, I would say, forget about everything. Don't play anything that you know, just start making sound like, like make sound. And it doesn't have to be rhythm. It doesn't have to be melody, or it could be one or the other. It can be just like, you know, uh, long tones, mood, a mood, create a mood, you know, uh, and, and a landscape. Uh, think about, you know, what is a, you know, what, what does rain sound like or the wind or, you know, a volcano, whatever, any, anything you can use as kind of an idea to express yourself. You know, that's what it was for me. My first lesson with, with Michael Carvin at Drummers Collective was was the the turning point in my life he said play me a solo and i was like i was at that point where it's like i could only play music that i knew right so i could only recall things and make reference to something and i was like i don't know what do you mean you know like solo blah 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 and he was like just play me like you know just play me play me you know whatever like play me a sunset play me a blah 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 he started to mention things that were referenced and a, a light, you know, went on right away. I was like, oh, I can just, you know, use my imagination, <laughs> you know. And uh, that began a really sweet little, I don't know, semester with him uh, developing, uh, developing, creating my own drum compositions, you know, solos. So I would, there's a lots of ways to do that. But um, that would be the way I would just, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with learning being so uh you know uh obsessed with a certain band and a certain drummer but there's a certain point where you have to move on and you have to kind of like open your ears to other things follow your heart and also do and, and express yourself freely uh if, you know if you're an expert on rush music why can't you just play your own your own personal expression of rush ideas you know make them your own, you know? So many different ways to take this, but I have one specific um, path here. How do you feel about sitting down and all, you know, like the direction you take with each improvisation? Is it okay to just sort of take the same approach until you exhaust it? Or should each time you should say, well, I always start with mallets. Maybe I should start with brushes today do you predetermine anything or is it just well every time i kind of start soft and get loud i want to keep doing that for a while until i can't do it anymore yeah i mean it's it's all i think that the thing is not to set yourself up with any like i you know uh system where it's like i have you know like uh you don't have to do anything you did yesterday, but if you want to do something that you did yesterday, do it a little differently today. 
you know, do that thing that you love so much, but do it differently. So if you played with mallets and you really enjoyed it, play with mallets again, if that's what you're, if that's what you're being pulled towards. So I, so I think it's really important to have the spirit of like excitement about working on something. Uh, and it's, there's freedom to it. Like, oh, wow, I'm going to work on my soloing. What am I going to do? And then it's like, well, I really enjoyed playing with mallets yesterday. So I don't know, maybe I want to do that. And then there's another part of you that might say, hey, you know what? Let's try the brushes today, but with that spirit, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it might be. So I don't have a straightforward answer, but I do. That does make me want to bring this up. When I play a solo show, you know, it's usually an hour set, 50 minutes to an hour, solo drumming, you know, you know, I have a lot of percussion instruments too, so I can pick up like hand percussion and, and do a whole, a little piece of just that and talking drum, whatever it might be. I have all kinds of things around me. It's not just Sometimes it is just the drum set, but I do, I do. Sometimes I go in, I say, you know what, let me give it a little form. Let me give my, I'm, I'm a little, I'm drawing a little blank today. I'm a little, I'm a little tired, you know, like I'm not sure I'm going to be able to follow through in the moment. So just in case, let me like, uh, write on each, each index card here. I'm going to write mallets, credit card, I'm credit card, uh, Index card, next index card, brushes, sticks, hands, only symbols, kick and snare and hi-hat only, you know, uh, percussion. And then I have like seven to 15 cards of idea of, of just basically things that would be the, you know, the, the launching, the launch pad to get me at least, oh, I know, I know I need to, I'm going to do it. And as soon as I start playing with that, with mallets, you know, it's a mood. It's, it's like, it really does kind of like put you in a, it gives you a feeling right. Or with brushes. And so, um, that, and that sets off kind of like a certain feeling, you know, it's a texture, it's a timbre, your instrument sounds different with these different mallets. And then you can sort of like shape your thing that way. And that what's important about that is that like you have a sequence of music based on uh described sounds so you say hey this is no symbols this is a piece with no symbols that's the only thing don't play any symbols for the entire five minutes right and then the next piece is like play mallets play whatever you want and then you do that for five minutes and then you're creating sort of you know you're, cre you're creating form in your solo set and that's kind of a cool way. So I wanted to bring that up because I think that's important. Like you can tell yourself today, I'm going to, you know, you can, you can have a thing in your, in your calendar. This is my workout. You know, this is my schedule for the week. This is what I do. Mallets on Monday, brushes on Tuesday, hands on whatever <laughs> for soloing. And then you can just have a prescribed thing, but what you do with those things, it becomes, it can come become daunting if you're like, but what am I going to play? Am I going to play fast, slow, loud? Or, no, it's just like what you're feeling. So to take, besides prescribing yourself those things, which I think is kind of good because you can cover a lot of bases, but you could also just say, what am I feeling in the moment right now? That, what's pulling me? Like what I'm looking at my stick bag. I'm looking at my instruments like, oh, let me grab that. You know, that to me is... I think the, the most important thing is to be in touch with what you are 
being drawn to in the moment. Because if you think an hour later, an hour before, this is what I'm going to do, you know, this is what I'm going to do at 10 a.m. or, you know, when I get on stage, this is what I'm going to do. This is going to be my improvisation. You're not really improvised because when you get up there, you might go, oh, my God, I don't feel like playing that thing I said I was going to play. I want to do that, you know, and that's the beauty and the freedom of, of improvising is like to tap into the energy at the moment, you know, and that's what I learned a lot about Medesca Martin Wood. We would have a whole set. We would say, here, we're going to play this, that, and that. We're going to improvise here. We'd have these little interludes to tunes. We'd have the set in order, and we'd go out there, and we wouldn't play the tune that right away we would just, John would just start playing something else, and we'd be like, oh, my God. Like, what? And, and we learned that, like, even we had a set to rely, we had a set there to fall back on. But if we were feeling something in the moment, one of us would disrupt the, disrupt the situation and be like, oh man, he's going into think or he's going into whatever, you know, uh, uh, chinoiserie, you know, or whatever the tune is. And it's like, boom, that sets it off because someone felt really strongly. Wow, we're up here, the energy, the people, the stage, the room, all those things are making me want to go here. And then you do it and, and uh, everybody jumps on. So I think it's tapping into the moment is like really part of part of the creative uh, magic, you know. But then the other part is just like saying, yeah, today mallets, if, it, if that's, you know, that's what you need. And that's what I've done. I've had these index cards, written ideas. And then I'll go out there and I'll pull one out or I'll go through them and I'll say, oh, yeah, this one, I'm feeling this one. Oh, I love it. I love it. Your your setup is, seems to be put together based on these moments of inspiration. Like it's an unusual kit. You've got a Naya Bingy bass drum usually, right? Concert toms. Sometimes. Yeah. One, one symbol usually. And then assorted instruments for around the world. How do you, what makes you add something to your setup? Uh, just, just that I need to change it up because I'm, I'm getting tired of the sounds. Mm. You know, and, and I want, you know, uh, and sometimes it's like, well, I want a more melodic kit, you know, like right now in the Herman house, I have a kit that Johnny Craviato built for me. And I have uh, the old Rogers kit that I played. You know, the people know I played a go-go on mm -hmm. Schofield and the go-go set is a Rogers kit. That's like, I took the, you know, you said concert sounds. I took the bottom heads off and it has like, for me, it's just it's more of a timbale timbale kind of like it it has a, a punchy punchy kind of more rock groove thing uh and so when i'm feeling that and when i'm feeling like i just want to like play a beat to my bass line that i looped you know i go to my rogers kit mm -hmm. sometimes i go to the craviato kit because i want to play more melodically and mm -hmm. so uh so if i when i change something on my kit it's usually just because yeah i want a tighter snare i'm going to use my little 10 inch snare you know because i want that punchy thing and i want the contrast between the boomy naya binky drum and the punchy 10 inch and it creates this for me like hip-hop kind of like boom snap thing you know uh other times it's like no i want to have a match kit the craviato kit was all built to just kind of be one instrument like a piano Mm -hmm. And it's all, you know, you can go, you really go anywhere with that. So it really, it's just like, like, again, it's like what I'm feeling in the moment. It has to do with the music that I'm playing or, 
or what I, the mood I'm in and, and stuff like that. So it's always evolving, right? You see that. Like, I don't have the Naya Bingi out right now. I did have it out not that long ago, which was rare. Modeski actually asked me to break the Naya Bingi out for something, uh, some recording, and I did, but it had, it had been away for two years. So what is that? It's, I don't know, what is the name of that drum? It's like a bass, you're using it as a bass drum. What, what does that give you that a bass drum doesn't? It's kind of, I mean, what people say, it's kind of like an 808 kick sound. Like, you mm. know, people have that Rolo and 808, it has a longer, you know, very low, long note. So it gives me, it gives me more, t- uh, a sort of a deeper tone and a longer note. It's a fatter, bigger, longer note. And at the time when I, when I bought it, it was in the eighties before I was playing in any bands like Medesk Martin Wood. I was into Brazilian samba, and it was that it was a drum that you I would hold. Although it's a Nyabinki drum, it's, you don't it's not supposed to hang it like a like a marching drum. But I did for a while. It was nearly killed myself. But <laughs> it was acted as a sort of drum which they use in the samba. Bing kaboom, 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 kaboom. It's like the heartbeat. So when I went to Jamaica. With my friend, I saw the Naya Bingi shack, you know, the Rasta, the Rasta drummers, all the drums were in the shack and they were beautifully colored. And I was like, I have to have that. That's my sorter drum. Uh, and then years later, I broke it out and started playing it with MMW. And that became like a thing, mm-hmm. became part of our sound. And it was really about like the 808 kick, you know, the hip hop stuff that I was into and the sounds that I was hearing uh, on other uh, music. I wanted to have it live. So uh, that's, that's really what it gave me, but it's not as it's, 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 it works for anything, but you know, there's a certain point where like, it was just, you know, they had these big, you know, rebar, like, like these giant nuts. You have to use a big wrench and it's like, it's goat skin and you know, the skin starts slipping off and, and you got to put a big rock in front of it. Cause it doesn't have any pegs, you know? So, uh, you know, uh, years and years of that on the road, it was fun, but, um, but you know, uh, my favorite kick right now, one of the two favorite kicks right now is the Rogers, the old Rogers Luxor bass drum that I have. It's just got the, the a lot of the old Rogers kicks have the best bass drum sound. Like it's just, I don't care what you do. It's just, they sound good. They just carry through. You can hear it on my, on my, my Instagram posts. Like you'll hear when I'm playing the Rogers kit, that kick drum is like, people are like, how did you record it? I'm like, I put my phone in front of it and do anything, you know, (laughs) and other times, and it depends where you put your phone sometimes, but like that, it just, it doesn't matter where I put my phone with the Rogers, Rogers drums. They just, they're just, they sound, they record really well. The Cravio, my other favorite bass drum is the one that Johnny made me. uh, It's a 10 by 20 inch. So it's a shallow 10 Mm -hmm. inch. It looks like a marching bass drum. Mm -hmm. And, um, Johnny lent me his kit a few times when I did West Coast tours, and it was his first prototype Craviato kit. And he had two kicks. One was a 10 by 20, and the other one was like a more regular size, like a deeper size. Uh, and I was like, it showed up at, at the first gig. I don't know, we were in San Francisco or something, and I was like, oh, man. I, mean, I tried both, and I was like, the 10 by 20 was like, this is it. This is, this is the answer to everything. I was like, there's something about the shape of the drum and the way it was made and everything. 
and I called them up and I said, John, I gotta have this, you know, I know you made me a whole kit already based on my other drum sets, but he was like, sure, Billy, you know, and it's like, and then eventually, you know, it showed up and like, I love it. It's like, I, it's my favorite kick drum. Cause you can, you can get it to, you know, you can get it to sort of, you know, ring out and sound boomy, mm-hmm. you know, like a, like a, like an, like, like an 808 or like an old fashioned, you know, big band bass drum or something maybe. Uh, and you can also just kind of like, you know, muffle it, you know, and it's still got the punch. There's some gear for you. There's some gear talk. Yeah, right, right. What do you what do you travel with gear wise? And then also, how do you approach dealing with a rental kit that you don't know what you're in store for? Uh, yeah, I travel with I travel with a suitcase that will fit a 16 inch symbol. Okay. And I'm not so picky about hi hats, so I usually don't bring the hi hats. I usually just hi hats are usually safe to kind of like pick up somewhere you know in a rental situation uh and they're heavy so like i like my suitcase has a lot of uh metal percussion might be more feet stuff and, and, and other pieces shards of metal that i like to play and hit uh and then there's like wood pieces and things and shakers and a go-go bells and whistles and atmospheric sounds so all of that is in my suitcase with my stick bag and uh and and a symbol and a ride symbol, my, my 16 inch a ride. Uh, and then, uh, I approach, I approach, uh, renting drums. Like, well, first thing I try to ask them for is a vintage sounding kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I prefer if, if there's, if there's anything, if I have to choose one type of kit, it would be like, yeah, give me a grit, Gretsch Catalina or, a you know, more modern made one that sounds like an older kit. You know, uh, some people like will find me, uh, forgive me for like, I don't have all the dates, but I'm starting to learn. I'm 58. I'm starting to learn the Ludwig, like 1967, it seems to be like the late sixties. Ludwig's had a sound that I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great Slingerland kits, you know, Gretsch kits. Uh, but basically it's like, I would rather much rather have a jazz kit, even if I'm playing a rock gig, because I just want to have the melody and open sound tone sound, I can always like tone it down with my mm-hmm. muffles or whatever. Um, and basically it's like whatever kit I get, no matter how shitty it is, I'm going to let it play me. I'm not going to change my style because I'm Billy Martin. I'm Billy B. I'm like, I'm going to play the way I play. My rhythms were not going to change, mm-hmm. but, but the drum set will inform me to like, Hey, you know, like it sounds better when you do this. You can't, you know, it's like maybe it's not as melodic. So let's get into more creative beat movement or or vice versa. It's very melodic and it's like, you know, and I'll play it just it just I celebrate the moment of, you know, okay, I'm dealing with this drum sound. It's may not be my favorite thing or maybe a surprise. Mm-hmm. And I'll just kind of like let it play me in a sense, you know. I used to get really frustrated with rental kits and get really, you know, angry about it. Like, how am I going to play this piece of crap? You know, like, uh, and, uh, and that was just my whining and complaining. And I realized that like, you know, you can play anything drums, drums. We got it easy drummers. We can, <laughs> I can, I don't even need a drum set to create a beat, you know, mm-hmm. give me anything. I'll, you know, it's like, that's like, that's the kind of what I've learned over the years. But of course it's nice to have a good sounding snare a nice punchy kick. And then if you're lucky, some toms that are 
have a good vibe. You know, mm-hmm. symbols are hard to rent. I don't recommend renting symbols. Hi hats are easy, pretty much. So uh, I have a couple more questions. I appreciate you hanging with me today. So uh, I was watching something, a stream you did earlier this year, and you did a couple improvisations where they started with looping. You were looping some percussion. I couldn't hear a definitive pattern that you were looping, but then it sort of took on its own pattern in a way. How do you, you know, I I mess with looping a lot myself and I always try to make it some sort of rhythm that I can find some sort of definitive pulse to it or whatever. You didn't seem to be doing that, but yet you were playing beats and things over top of it. So what is your approach to that live looping concept? Yeah. I love this. I love this. This is my new thing in the past couple of years. Well, I have this concept called rhythmic harmony. And in, in the rhythm book, it's very clear. It's very specific. Like everything has a relationship pulse wise, you know, with three and two together, right. you know, you're feeling six and four and, and the claves and all that stuff. And it's all kind of locked in a grid, but you can still be expressive with it. But basically, rhythmic harmony is just like that. It's like there's two or more cycling patterns that are playing together. And the more you add to them, the more sophisticated it gets and the feeling gets, you know. So um, that's very polyrhythmic, very counterpuntal, what I call rhythmic harmony. Rhythmic harmony is just polyrhythm. But uh, so that's the locked in kind of groove side of it. The other side is... You can have uh, a pulse or a sound just looping, like a recording. It could be someone talking, it could be anything, right? But it's looping, so it has a, it's a recording that just plays and plays and plays. So each one of those loops can have a, it doesn't have to be like a perfect time, but it could have a feeling that makes me want to play a beat a certain way. Mm-hmm. And that this is truly like, there's no, it's not like a, it's not, it's not science, it's art. You know, this is the difference between like figuring it out scientifically or technically and it just being an artistic expression. It's like a feel thing. So I might play something on the guitar, bass, or on the imbira or percussion and I'll loop it, but it's like an imperfect loop. Imperfect, that's a relative word. uh, But the idea that it doesn't have like uh, a specific time signature, like it's not in six, it's not in three, it's not in four. It's like skipping. It's like, but that loop is a phrase. There's a phrase and it has a feeling to it, it has a shape to it, right? And there might be some sub rhythmic expression in that. Now I'm getting a little too, maybe, you know, scientific, but this might help. And all I do is I pick up on the feeling I'm getting while I listen to it. And I'll just basically jump in with a beat. And the beat is what really establishes a a referential point, mostly, for people to go, oh, I hear the beat. But what the hell is that loop, right? (laughs) The loop is kind of just keeps ending up in a different part of the beat each time it comes around. That's something I honestly learned by listening to certain kind of hip-hop stuff where it was like it wasn't even in the key of the song, the rhythm was different every time and you hear it in any, uh, any kind of jazz form or rap stuff. Like people will just 
be rapping or playing a solo over uh, a pulse and it'll sort of like come in in a different place, but it'll be the same melody or the same idea, right? So this is kind of like that. I just will play something sometimes. I specifically will make it, uh, I'll play as a demonstration to people. I'll be like, just play some weird, wacky, out of time phrase. And then I just play it over. You know, it's like, and then you just boom, that's, you just, you just play a beat and you hold that beat. Don't let that, whoops. You, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Uh, it said my power, my phone's going to die soon. Um, and you just, the beat is really what creates this sort of reference point. And then that phrase is kind of, it's really um, cycling, you know, in its own, in its own uh, rate. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, and I think of it holistically. It's like, think about the planets and the sun rising and the sun setting. We're going through our life doing things, some things we have clocks and things are in time, but the sun and the moon and the stars and everything, it's constantly like, they're all kind of have their own cycle that's really specific. It's not all locked in the clock time. And there's a harmony to that. So the rhythmic harmony concept is like, play something weird into a loop. It could just be a drone. That's the other thing. And then you just play a beat over it, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so... So that's, this is the beginning of like, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's happening, compositions, I've got groups, I've got orchestras and ensembles playing their own uh, cycling loops or pulses, and we all do it together and I conduct them and it like creates this amazing rhythmic harmony together. And then we might have someone solo over and we have someone play a beat and then the bass player goes with the beat and they start to create, start to build so it's like uh, sort of a little bit of controlled improvisation thing I do, but it's based on that concept. Yeah, just looping a part that's not in time. It's just a melody or a, or a, or a glitchy phrase, and then you just play the beat that you're feeling in the moment, and then you can even change your beat to another beat. That's mm -hmm. the other thing. Hey, let me try this tempo now. Let me try. <laughs> let me try, and you'd be surprised. You know, listen to it, record yourself. And you'd be like, wow, there's some moments there where like. It just has a thing, you know, magic. That's beautiful. Alchemy. Well, yeah. I thank you so much for hanging. So if anyone wants to reach out to you about lessons or, or keep in touch with your nonprofit and workshops, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah. Uh, Billy at BillyMartin.net. And uh, Illy Beats, I-L-L-Y-B-E-A-T-S and Instagram. Awesome. Everyone go check it out. Get the book Rhythm. And I, I'm looking forward to part two because I practice out of the current one all the time. And we'll talk off air about me getting hooked up with the lesson. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Great Thanks, to be Billy. on your show. Good luck with it. Thanks. Well, that's it for this week's episode. That's it for the Drum Kitty podcast in the year 2021. So thank you all for listening. Your support has been greatly appreciated i um, never thought we'd make it this far but here we are we're going to keep on rolling into 2022 we've got a bunch more uh, drummers to reach out to so if you have any suggestions for guests or future topics uh, don't be afraid to email me at mike at drumfactorydirect.com and i'll do my best to get everyone on the show that we want to hear from and also maybe veer off into some other topics lots of ideas so once again thank you all for listening hope you have a great happy peaceful new year 
and let's make some noise in 2022. See you next week.